Hello and welcome to this December 17th, 2023 edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. It's December 17th here, it's the third Sunday of Advent, and today for the sermon I'm going to be keying on the person and the work of John the Baptist. Primarily his work early in, uh, as John, the Gospel writer, describes it, in the first part of the Gospel according to John. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then a little bit later, more verses in the same chapter. Uh, Talking about being a witness and bearing witness. That's the title of the sermon, to bear and to be and bear witness. But that's what what it's about, Uh, how people bear witness to us and how that makes an impact on us through their recommendations, their references, their, their, uh, the influence they have on us. And I, I go from there to talk about bearing witness <clears throat> and hopefully having a positive impact. So it's also a teeny bit shorter than usual, but I don't have a problem with that, and I'll bet you don't either. So our uh, lector today is Jen Schneider. She'll be reading from the aforementioned Gospel according to John, as well as Isaiah 61 and second. So Second Thessalonians, maybe it's First Thessalonians, but um, not to worry. I don't believe I'm quoting from the epistle in the scriptures today. So thank you for tuning in, and here are our scriptures. Then the sermon. As promised, our first reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter sixty-one, verses one through four, then verses eight through eleven. This poem recalls the servant songs that are earlier in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up from the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All of who see shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. This ends the reading from Isaiah. Our epistle lesson is a good chunk of Paul's charges and benedictions, which bring 1 Thessalonians and its chapter 5 to a close. The reading itself is chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every evil. 
May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. When Elton John's latest, then latest, CD came out, it's called Sleeping with the Past, I did not have any plans to run out and buy it. I had Elton John's Greatest Hits, Volume 1, and thought that was enough. I did see him in concert in St. Paul in 1984, before I accepted the call to preach a candidating sermon for St. Nikolai Church in Chicago. But then, after I'd been there a couple of years, uh, Rita Verhegan, the mother of Hillary for whom we long prayed, she recommended to me sleeping with the past, relying on our basic shared musical tastes, I did buy it. I liked it, and I still play it from time to time. When I was not that long at St. Peter's, one of my wise clergy colleagues, the Reverend Carol Monroe, told me I should get this book called Generation to Generation, Family Process in Church and Synagogue. It was written by Edwin Friedman, a well-known proponent of family systems theory. Carol was so persuasive and I trusted her, so I got the book. Like with Rita, her testimony to the importance of the volume rang true with me. It's one of the most important books I have read. Television shows? Well, Beth and I ended up regular viewers of at least a few shows that Laura told me were great, Grimm being one of them. And I was agreeable to watching the start of Bosch, based on Beth's recommendation from, having her, from her having read Michael Connolly's books featuring the character, Harry Bosch. These are all people I know and have a trust relationship with. And there are others whose recommendations I or we have also taken on and were rewarded for taking on their recommendations. On a larger scale, there is a whole industry of people called influencers whose job is just that to get folks like you and me, or sometimes more likely our kids or grandkids, to follow or buy certain things. We all know the ads on television, too, with the first-person testimonials about this weight loss product, or that medication, or that dental procedure, etc., and so on. They're influencers also. Oh the power of recommendation, of people telling you, this is great, you should try it, look at what it's done for me. The persuasiveness of a reference, of something promoted by a family member, a friend, or someone whom you know actually knows what she's talking about, can be quite substantial and certainly life-changing. It's more than the power of suggestion. It's the dynamic of someone bearing witness to the value of something that they believe you also might benefit from knowing. It can be a piece of music. And that can lead to a broader interest in the whole catalog of the artist. Or a book which you're recommended to read and you read it and you, un you end up reading the author's entire body of work. And so on. 
power of a witness in our lives. Who has been a really influential person in your life? Who testified to, who bore witness to, to recommend or referred you to things which made a whole lot of difference ever since? Surely I'm not the only one who bought a CD or a book because a friend sung its praises and was glad I did. So who were such folks, such experiences in your lives? It's too bad there's no coffee hour today because this would make for a grand conversation from table to table to table. But you and I do not have to wait totally for after worship to consider this idea meaningfully and farther. It's already been introduced to us. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all people might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. Because the word got out that John, this unaccredited, unsupervised, unknown desert dweller, was baptizing people without authorization, the word got out. The leaders of the Jewish religious establishment headquartered in Jerusalem sent investigators down to John the Baptist to do just that, investigate. And, I think, to intimidate him if he could not answer to their satisfaction. What did he say? This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He went on to say three things he was not. Not the Messiah, not the Messiah's predicted forerunner, Elijah, although Jesus later said that, oh yeah, he was. And not the prophet, another character thought to precede Messiah's arrival based on an interpretation of something Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy, that there would be a prophet who was like him, like Moses. John the Baptist affirmed, though, that he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He said also he was a baptizer only with water, and he was unworthy to tie the sandal of the one who would come after him, who was among them already, but unrecognized. Now, Jerusalem in the gospel is the center of opposition to Jesus and his ministry. Before he even shows up as Jesus, cousin and witness John gets investigated by the religious authorities there who were especially responsible for religious purity and doctrinal orthodoxy. So, who did this John the Baptizer in his radical preaching and baptizing think he is? He told them. He was a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. He was a witness, bearing witness, to the one who was coming who was greater than he was. Going along with today's sermon title, John was witness, and John bore witness. A witness was what he was, 
and bearing witness to the light to the coming Lord is also what he did to be and bear witness that was John not the light but the one who referenced the light who announced its coming who prepared the way who recommended the light to those who came out to be baptized so that all might believe through him we heard Jen read this bearing witness was for their good and for the sake of the light himself whoever John impacted he changed their life his witness changed their lives as people we know changed ours by something or someone they recommended to us testified about to us referred us to and thought we would like so I, I asked who are some of those people in your lives and if you dare your humility who might you have borne witness to about something or someone that made a positive change in his her or their lives to what or whom have you testified and made an impact? Well, most of you know my story of coming to faith. I overcame doubt after one spiritual encounter early in my teens. I went through confirmation class, but did not sense any drawing nearer to Jesus. To me, at that time, God was the main man. Then one night, what the night after my friends Mark and Bob argued over Jesus while I listened on my mom's back porch. The next night it was just Bob and me. And he asked me what I'd thought of their conversation the night before, which started our own conversation. I don't recall much of what Bob said, but he must have borne witness to Christ Jesus and suggested that I invite him into my heart later that night when I was alone, no pressure. I received his suggestion because Bob and I had known each other since seventh grade and now it was the summer before senior year. Before going to bed, I did as he suggested and my life was changed forever in the flash of a moment. Paul wrote, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? Bob Brody bore witness to the power of Jesus in his life, and he was persuasive in how he represented the gospel to me in the context of trusted friends talking about the most important things in the universe like 17-year-olds do when they get together in private. He proclaimed him privately without audience or ego. In fact, at a class reunion years ago, he told me he did not remember this conversation at all. Now, the God, the Jesus I came to believe in, did not change. But my understanding of the good news grew over time. Jesus is, was, and is the light. But it is not just about me and Jesus, about a personal relationship. It may have started that way. 
But our relationship grew to include the promise fulfilled in his synagogue's hearing that Jen read the prophecy from, at least part of it, because some of it's in Isaiah 50-something. But this was in Isaiah 61, fulfilled in a synagogue's hearing that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which was kind of side language for the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25. For those who mourn in Zion shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall repair the ruined cities. They shall build up the devastations of many generations. This Jesus came into my heart, although I did not yet know that part of his gospel, in 1976. To be and bear witness. It does not always have to be by word. Isaiah points to demonstrating whose we are by deeds done on behalf of others. Uplifting the oppressed, those who live in squalor and who've been victimized, marginalized, and redlined one way or another for many generations. Now we each have our own gifts and traits, and they are used in various places. As Paul wrote elsewhere, and we've heard here recently, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have a variety of things that we, get to, that we get to be gifted at, and we're called to use them for the common good. We are many members of one body. We are not supposed to all do, be doing the same thing. We're called to use whatever God, gifts God has given us for the common good, and not just for our profit or our glory at all. What we do with them bears witness. How you and I do whatever we do with them bears witness. It's not always just what we do, but how we do it and how we don't do it. I've been influenced by many people who have testified to the value of many different and good things. So have we all. Perhaps we, too, have testified to others of what we recommend, what matters to us, what or who has had a mighty and blessed influence in our lives and how we live them. In closing, the last thing I want to say in To Be and Bear Witness comes from the scholar and commentator Frederick Dale Bruner. In writing about John the Baptist, who was and who bore witness, Bruner wrote that what I put on the church marquee this week. And with these words, I almost close. Everyone's life bears witness to something or someone. Everyone's life bears witness to something or someone. Everyone's life, including yours and mine. I'll let you ask yourselves the question. Amen. Again, I hope you enjoyed that message about to be and bear witness about John the Baptist and about us. And 
I don't have a lot of reflection after having preached the sermon. I think I've shared everything with you in the beginning. Um, I'm grateful to Frederick Dale Bruner for that sentence that I quoted that kind of helped me crystallize the whole message. And um, next week we're going to be on, we've got December 24th, verse, uh, there's a 10 a.m. and a 7 p.m. Now, I will try to record both of those, but for the evening service, only the homily, because there are a bunch of scriptures and it would just take a long time. But it will be the story of the nativity and, and some prophecy leading up to the birth of Jesus foretelling it. And it'll be a little while before you before the it, these will reach you, perhaps, because our producer, Laura Olson's schedule, doesn't have her spending, she's got some time off coming to her, and it's right around the same time I'm taking some time off, so I know she'll do everything she can to get these podcasts out to you as close to the time as they're having been preached as possible, but if there is a delay for either the 10 a.m. and or the 7 p.m. homilies, um, please uh, be forgiving in spirit and in mind, and uh, because my plan and my hope without talking with her is that I'll record the, both messages as well as the scriptures for the service on the morning of December 24th, which is the fourth Sunday of Advent. God bless you, and may God bless your week. And happy holidays, Merry Christmas if uh, you don't tune in to get the Christmas message. God bless you all. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. you so much. New Testament letter.